The next thing that came to me was for those old enough to remember the medical drama in the in the seventies. Quincy MD or Quincy ME. Yeah, and he only dealt with corpses. So, jeez, <laughs> so, I tell you what, they're, they're over from two here, and the product's not even on the shelves yet. <laughs> With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt have been bringing you the world's best local and imported malts. They are your premium brewing partner and they are proud supporters of this. And this is Good Brews Week. I am your host, Pete Mitchum. And joining me from Brisbane, it's Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Good morning, Pete. Mate, you must have had a busy week. You just got that little bit of a scratch in, in, in your voice. There's been a lot of uh, talking this week, has there? Been out on the farm, Matt. Been out on the farm. So <laughs> You've been outstanding a- in the field as well. That's it. I've been outstanding in my field uh, or someone else's field. Um, a field, I, I should we say field, you know, a paddock. Um, you could drive for two hours and, and still be on this property. <laughs> it's it, it's um, the wide brown land is never so wide or so brown when you're kind of right in the middle of it um, just before harvest. But yeah, we, we can chat about that a little bit later. Um, and joining us by popular demand, would you please welcome Zoe Ottaway from Totem Marketing. G'day, Zoe. Hi, guys. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's great having you back. Yes. Where's Zoe? Oh, what happened to Zoe? Oh, it's been a while since you had Zoe on. All right, guys. We, you know. (laughs) Well, to be fair, we we we're going to re Mervis this, Matt. We've um, we've heard you and we're listening and we're doing something about it. And and to be fair to us, we have been trying. You know, Zoe is a very very uh, busy lady and very much in demand, and has also been travelling. So it's been yeah, it's it's been a confluence of factors. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but we we got there. Yeah, and that's that's the main thing. Um. Do you want to talk us through just a quick little um, the the minute and a half uh, postcard from uh, your recent trip as it relates to uh, beer? So, yeah, I've just got back from four weeks through northern Italy. Um, I will admit it's probably more grapes and grain for the bulk of it. But, um, yeah, discovered some really good little craft beer bars, um, particularly in Rome. Um, yeah, and just really, like, yeah, just a mix of beers. Um, it certainly yeah. has... And that's partly the reason I ask yeah. because we we often hear that uh, Italy is the like the second fastest growing craft beer um, uh, sort of region, and I just wondered, you know, in the last few years we haven't sort of seen a lot, we haven't heard a lot, we we haven't sort of got a lot of product on the shelves over here. So I just wondered whether that momentum had sort of continued on, or did they sort of you know turn back to the grape? Yeah, no, I definitely um. Yeah, when went to places that have local craft beers um, and in Rome, just walking around, there was some on my to-do list that I, from research before I went, but then just walking around, you'd just see a sign and there'd be this craft beer bar that um, was just astounding and you yeah, just discovered it. So, um, yeah, it certainly took me by surprise. I was last in Rome probably about 15 years ago. So, um, and obviously a very different style of drinking attitude back then as well. Um, so it was really good just to kind of see this craft beer scene um, and super passionate. Like the venues I went into were just really friendly, really like mixed um, beers on the list. Um, yeah, I was really impressed. And it, yeah, it was nice to yeah, get, get a few ales in after all the, all that, all the wine and the greenies. And everything else. So yeah, yeah, no. It's well, good and on that, you mentioned ales. What what are, what are they drinking? Are they have, have milkshake IPAs and pastry stouts made their way? No, 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 that's no good. none of that kind of stuff. It was pretty traditional in terms of um, IPAs, double IPAs, um, saisons. Um, saw quite a few like hop saisons. Um, yeah, uh, 
Most places were pretty local. Um, if they did have other um, breweries on tap from other countries, it was still quite European. Um, I didn't see a lot of, or the, I didn't see any Australian beer, but there wasn't even like a lot of US beer or anything that I saw. Um, I know BrewDog had a, has a place in Rome. I didn't get to that. It wasn't on my checklist. The, the Hard um, Punk Cafe. So, you didn't get to the Hard Punk Cafe then, Zoe? <laughs> No, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was good. It was just, I guess, like here, you like trying new things, and it was good to be there and just go. I have no idea where this brew is even from. I just know it's from Italy somewhere. Cool, let me try it. And, um, yeah, and on the whole, the beers are really good. Isn't that one of the joys of travel when you don't know, like you are trying things for the first time? And you know, Stephen Beaumont, who was out for BrewCon, he had huge raps. His his talk was, you know, I'm so bored with the US. Um, because he was just saying, you know, if you travel the world, whether it's England or Australia um, and parts of South America, they've just been directly influenced by the US. But one of the things he said about Italy was they're looking at what's going on overseas, but they're making it uniquely their own. They're using um, local ingredients. They're keeping their beers local as well, which is a huge thing. Um, And so it really, when you go to, like I haven't been to Italy for six or seven years, but uh, no, actually it was three years ago. Um, But when, when I did, that's one of the things I noticed. A whole lot of breweries that were obviously reasonably well established, but I'd never heard of, but were doing really distinct, um, interesting things that made it you know, a real delight to discover them. Yeah, exactly. And there's some great stories behind them. Um, and I guess it's for that exact reason why going to the brew dog pub in Rome just wasn't on my to-do list. Like I've done that when I've been in the UK. So, um, you know, what to me, I was like, well, why would I want to do that in Rome? I'll go and discover somewhere new in the limited time I've got to just take in as much as I can. Um, but, yeah, to me, that's the whole point of travel, whether it's beer, food, how you're spending your days. Like, yeah, um, I, yeah I guess to me that's the difference between travelling or holidaying um, and, yeah, your attitude towards taking on new things or sticking to your comfort zone. So, um, yeah, if, if beer, it just means I try more different beers, then oh, I'm all for it. And Zoe, related to our uh, our first news item that we're going to get to just after this question, um, independence in the Italian beer scene is it? Uh, are the big breweries buying craft? Are they offering you know mainstream craft? Uh, are the independent breweries or you know small local breweries, cha- uh, I guess, announcing the fact that they are independent, or is it just they... beer? Is just beer? Is beer? No, definitely the venues I went to were quite. Um, blatant and proudly saying that they support independent beer, um, including the ones that I just happened to stumble across. Um, so that certainly helped me as a consumer. Going off um, you know, a, a restaurant list or just going into, a, I guess, a more um, uh, like the wine bars and just having a beer in the um, Atorias, like... I, I wasn't familiar enough, so I really wouldn't have known. It could have been multinational. It could have been, um, yeah, if, it, if it's a Italian brewery that's owned by a, a multinational, I, as a consumer, wouldn't have been able to tell. So it certainly was beneficial for me to, when discovering the craft beer-focused venues, 
that were quite blatantly saying, you know, 100% independent beer and having the passionate people behind the bar, you know, talk me through the beers made all, all the world difference. Um, and it certainly was a much better experience for me as a consumer and as a as a tourist to Rome. Um, you know, Italy isn't somewhere, you know, that's on my craft travel radar. And now it was really good to kind of have that, um, I guess an element of shock to it that I was like, okay, this this has got a bigger craftier scene than I was expecting um, at all. So, yeah, it certainly made a difference when the venue supported it, and it's probably a good learning for me, for me to you know speak about with my clients here that it really does um, make a difference if um, you know venues are really getting behind not like the the more um, emotional connections to why they're stocking products is not necessarily just a, a tap deal it's actually we believe in this brewery we believe in this winery we believe in this craft distillery because of x person behind it because they're you know b corp certified there's all these things that are actually influencing our decisions which therefore influence our impact in our local community because um, that's certainly the way i felt when i visited these venues in um yeah particularly in rome yeah, and uh, as this uh, this particular episode of this podcast uh, will come out, if you're listening to it on the day it's released, which is today, Friday, then tomorrow is Indie Beer Day, uh, October the 26th. Uh, there's been a lot of celebration. There's been a lot of talk about um, how we celebrate Indie Beer. Uh, and this Saturday, obviously, the IBA is encouraging everyone who's either a, a drinker or a venue or a brewery to um, at the same time, which I think, Matt, is 2 p.m., 2 p.m. Uh, well, standard daylight savings normal. Who knows what time that is? Uh, person time. Yeah, but anyway, just do it. Uh, <laughs> but it does bring up the question: um, How do we promote uh, that independence should matter to our consumers? Yeah, this was a question that I, I suppose because again, you know, um, as personally, you know, Bruce News as an industry site doesn't necessarily champion indie beer or anything else we just report on what's going on but you know personally as we've discussed on the podcast before pete you know we have a certainly a prejudice towards buying indie beer because ultimately it matters and there's a whole lot of deeply personal reasons that for me indie beer matters um you know i i do wonder um if we would be seeing the great change in the brewing world as we've seen, if it wasn't for small independent breweries who are willing to try new stuff. Um, and then once it becomes popular, the bigger breweries come in and try and take some of that real estate back. Um, and and th- But that's a very personal decision to me. And I was just wondering, you know, whilst there's been a lot talking about raise a glass for any beer day, um, I'm minded of Pete Brown's chat at BrewCon, where he said, well, craft beer means something independence not so much um, and it's much harder to get consumers activated around the idea of independence and in all of the promotion of Indie Beer Day I haven't seen too much talk to consumers about why you should care about Indie Beer Day just that you should be celebrating Independent Beer Day and I was just wondering whether um, it's singing to the choir or whether it's actually trying to you know put the yeah, roots of yeah. Indie Beer a little bit deeper. Because, Zoe, I think it's from a marketing point of view, uh, you can 
you can have a, a price proposition. So you can say, well, you know, my beer is on special or my beer is always cheaper or, you know, any price will beat it by 10%. You, you, can, you can sell that. You can, you can use that as a call to action. You can say local ingredients or you can say all natural ingredients or you can say organic. You can, you know, I guess use the word craft, but then, you know, that can be used many different ways. How do we sell independence as, as almost, the, you know, the fifth ingredient? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think the IBA has done a great job of this first campaign. And I think we've really got to be realistic about what we're trying to achieve in a you know year one event. Um, I'm sure this is a long-term goal um, for them to make this actually an annual um, event for many years to come. Um, you know, to me, this one is more about rallying the troops and really, um, again, like I know I live in the pointy end of craft beer, so I am seeing a lot of the slogans and a lot of the venues and there's a lot of celebration about tomorrow. Um, I think about rally- making it the next ingredient in, in terms of independence. We talk about and the language used about making people want independence. It, consumers tell us what they want. It goes the other way around. And, you know, that's where marketing really has changed over the last 10 or 20 years, particularly with the introduction of digital and social media, is instead of brands and marketers telling consumers what they want and how they're going to get it, it's definitely the power shift has gone has reversed and it's now the consumers always telling us what they expect. Um, so it really is about working on identifying those part of the markets that are already concerned about ownership and really like reinforcing that message to them. Like they're the advocates that then influence their friendship circles. They're the ones that will go, look, no, sorry, I'd rather go to a different venue for my birthday or this weekend with my friends because um, you know, it has independent beer on tap. Um, and they're, they're the ones that will start having those conversations with people that it's not even on their radar. Like knowing just how big craft is in terms of overall beer and then independent beer within that, you know, the, the vast majority of beer drinkers, not just craft, but total beer drinkers either aren't concerned or aren't even aware of independent of beer ownership so it really you really do have to start as a a grassroots campaign really like like i said rally the troops get them all together and just reinforce that you're part of this community that does care like it's not just the brewers and it's not just the venue owners like we're all in this together and then year on year you build that up so you start bringing in new people who are getting on board with that message um not because they've been told by the IBA or brewers that it's imp- it should be important to you, but it actually has just become important to them because that's the way that their world around them has changed. Um, you know, we see that with recycling, we see that climate change. There's certainly things that you know five, ten years ago weren't on our radar yet. As consumers now, we're more concerned about you know how certain things get into our house and how they've influenced their purchasing decisions so yeah independence and craft beer is just another one of those things um it's a slow and steady race but it's the best for long-term survival um yeah so the, the, the indie that's... indie beer supporter label and the indie beer label on 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 packaging from brewers it sort of really becomes far more important than than just oh yeah, yeah we're a member so we'll we'll put it on or no we're, we're not changing our packaging for a while so we won't bother it really is an important i guess a you know um lighthouse sort of thing 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like people, you've, you've got to give them the information. You can't expect consumers to be um, searching it out in the, you know, the absolute cluttered world we live in, and not just craft beer. I think um, the stats something like on a on one day the average person sees something like 20,000 brands um, of them uh, I think it's something like 80 they can recall and then it's something only like a dozen that actually like really cut through um, and when you think about it like yeah if you go in if you buy petrol you go into the um, the station to pay and think about how many brands you see just then and then you're on the computer at work how many pop-out ads come in like you, we are constantly being spoken at so to expect a consumer to take on the ownership is just unrealistic. Like we have to be proactive about that. And so it's events like this where you just keep seeing that yellow and black indie beer day message where if you were going to the pub anyway and all of a sudden there's this thing on, you know, oh, independent beer. Um, you know, it's about yeah being proud and putting that label on. You can say, yeah, we stand by this. This is a big part of emotionally why we became brewers um, and we hope that you understand that and you know start that conversation with consumers because there's going to be a huge um, part out there that that will end up being a emotional connection like like um you know I would say us three are and certainly a lot of listeners to this podcast where independence is a purchase consideration um, it's not just you know I'm chasing out the latest and greatest and newest flavours, it's actually I do care who's behind this and where it's from and how this came to be in my hand and I'm, I'm about to put my hard-earned over to get it. You know, I want to feel good about doing that. Um, you know, it's, you know I, I guess like a few years ago, we'd be talking about the hops in the beer, like that's the best thing. It's almost like that same attitude, like don't worry about if you've got you know, five different hops in this beer, like talk about a real emotional connector, which is, yeah, you're actually like, part of a community now and I think as um, as the years go on and yeah we just get so much more connected with everything just feeling like you're a part of something is just going to become more and more important and the craft beers community has the best opportunity to really um, maximize on that because it's it's a genuine authentic community passionate people real stories behind it people who do make themselves quite readily accessible um, you know you, you go into um, ben, uh, sorry, into like brewery, um, into actual bars in the brewery, or um, you know, events like Good Beer Week and um, Brew Vegas, where you know you might be able to meet the um, the brewer at an event. You know, we are a very accessible industry as well. So you know, if the biggest Apple head can't necessarily just walk into Apple and get a tour of the place. Like we we have that connection where people can really feel like they are a part of our world, even though they just drink the product. Uh, nice uh, link in there, Zoe, to our next story um, with <laughs> lots of messaging, and we get, uh, as you said, talk to a lot. Um, indie brewers now face a $100 million bill for pregnancy risk labels. So the alcohol industry is pushing back over plans to make amended uh, pregnancy risk warning labels on alcohol products mandatory. Uh, and the IBA this week said the proposed scheme could cost indie brewers uh, $100 million over the next 10 years. Uh, many brewers already voluntarily include the pregnancy risk label, which is the logo uh, on the side of cans or, or packaging. Uh, but the proposed new labels include a large written warning as well as an image. Is this a little bit of overkill or is this just somebody trying to, a bureaucrat trying to justify their um, 
existence. This has been part of a campaign that I, I believe our good friends at Fair have been have been running. Um, no, are they behind this? Are they involved in this? I, I, I don't think it's bureaucrats. I think you know that there is. Look, my question is, and I haven't been involved in the, the discussions, is what harm is this trying to solve? And I'm not talking about the harm that comes from um, you know drinking during pregnancy that we know is is harm, but is this actually an issue for people who are going to be drinking this product? Um, and will this actually solve the issue, or is this part of a much bigger campaign just to... Um, constantly move the ball forward in terms of, you know, to, in, in the campaign towards plain, pa- um, plain packaging. Um, I, you know, I, I think that uh, the, the, the risks with um, drinking while pregnant are well known amongst people that this sort of labelling is going to change their behaviour. Um, putting this label on however they want to do it isn't going to change the behaviour of people that this behaviour still needs to be addressed with. Um, and yeah, there's, there, there is, there's a certain group of people who have been ignoring this message since God's dog was a pup. Mm. And putting a bigger label or putting the words around it is not going to change that one iota, I don't think. No, and, and this seems to be a wolf in sheep's clothing, for, for want of a better term. Well, we'll argue that this is the damage that it's trying to prevent but this is actually a message we want to get out more broadly. Um, and that being the case, I don't, you know, this is a Trojan horse, a thin edge of the wedge, whatever you want to call it. But um, I, and, and I don't think that it uh, is, is an, uh, a measure that's going to make any positive change to the issue that it purportedly uh, wants to, wants to uh, address. Yeah, and I must admit, the cynic in me looked at this as let's make the beer, let's make the industry, uh, force them into doing something they don't necessarily want to do or is going to be very costly. And then when they push back at it, we can say, see, they've got no interest in, you know, they're just trying to push this deadly product on everyone. And so they're just kind of... And and they're not responsible, so they need to be addressed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the stat was something like 98.9% of women um, are aware of um, minimising or totally abstaining from drinking while pregnant. So, yeah, the, the the remaining that blatantly don't care about it, like you said, it's their behavioural change isn't going to swap because it's got some label on it. Um, yeah, it, it does seem a bit of an overkill, but I guess my taking of this as well is just to show how important it is. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying this affiliated to the IBA or ABA at all, but, you know, as a industry, we battle these battles together. Um, and, you know, if you feel strongly and something like this is going to affect, you know, your budget, your um, presentation on your um, packaging, all the things that you're concerned about, you know, support the organisations that are there to support you as part of the greater industry. Um, you know, this isn't going to be, you know, as one brewery on its own fixing it it's going to be um you know the, the everybody getting together and having a consistent and united voice um and so yeah i think you know i'm not i'm not saying this as a sales driver or anything but this is where it is important to support our industry bodies who can speak on and have the resources as well to battle these battles um on your behalf um because obviously no one's saying like 
I guess my perception is that we could actually remove all um, alcohol can harm your baby warnings of packaging and the people that are aware of it aren't going to suddenly start drinking. Like It's just part of our society now that you know it is frowned upon and most women, most women probably stop drinking well before um, they're actually pregnant when they're trying to get pregnant. Like It's just part of our society now. Um, so, yes, we need to find that balance where we're being responsible but also... Um, being um, true to our industry needs as well. It's funny, Pete, you know, on one hand, when you read the ABAC decisions and the submissions that are being made um, complaining about advertising alcohol, um, fair and anti-alcohol campaigners attribute mystical powers to a cartoon on on a label to um, pick children up and put them in harm's way. And yet... When it comes to you know similar sort of campaigns um, for positive things that they want to attribute, they they don't think those campaigns have any benefit. You know they, they don't think a, a logo or an image has any ability to influence purchase at all. They want to you know triple underline it in red ink to to make sure that the message is across. And it it, it really is a case of um, anti-alcohol campaigners wanting to have both sides of the argument. Um, you know, marketing does work when it's the market, when it's the beer industry doing it. Marketing doesn't work when they don't agree with, when, when they don't, when it's a message they want out there. So, um, and, and this seems to be another case of that. Yeah. And I think initially it was proposed, I think, in the legislation or the proposed legislation change that it was, it might cost 10,000. It's now looking that it's, you know, a hundred thousand per brewery or whatever it might be. Oh, uh, it's a hundred. Yeah. I don't know what the, I mean, a hundred million. I, I, I don't know the costings behind that. That was the IBA's claim, but you know, yeah, yeah. I, I just do remember seeing something about, you know, it was, a, it's only going to be a small amount across the industry, but then the IBA sort of run the numbers and said, well, actually, you know, and I don't know whether that was based on, you know, most breweries have two or three um, individual, Labels, so that's all they need to change. Not, and then forgetting about all the other, or, or the outer packaging, or or whatever it might be. But anyway, look, whether it's ten grand or or hundred grand, um, I reckon I'd be looking at some um, perhaps a practical solution to uh, solve that problem, Matt. And that might be perhaps some uh, shrink wrap uh, labelling from our good friends at <laughs> Rallings Labels and Stickers. Seamless, Pete. Seamless. So. <laughs> I think you can pick up the dog and bone and call one 852 235 and uh, I'm sure the guys up there at Rallying's Label Stickers and Packaging could help you get your pregnancy warning labels on your cans uh, far more or, efficiently. Or anything else. Or anything else. Um, now, consumers want larger packs, Matt, apparently, according to the uh, the Beer Cartel survey. And I think uh, after – we're just going to have a brief intro, but then uh, you've recorded a, a bit of a chat um, with Richard, I think, at Beer Cartel? I, I did, yeah. So 2019 uh, Australian Craft Beer Survey, um, which looks into industry trends. And, you know, we, we've discussed the, the, the pluses and minuses of the, these sorts of surveys before. Um, but, you know, look, probably best I go straight into the chat that I had with Richard discussing it and some of the key takeaways uh, from the survey that had 23,000 uh, respondents this year. So here's uh, my chat with Richard. Richard Kelsey, welcome to Brews News Week. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. Matt, it's always good to, uh, I, I guess this is one of our annual chats where we talk about the uh, Beer Cartel uh, Craft Beer Survey, but this one's got a bit of a twist at the end. 
but we'll uh, keep everyone hanging. Um, but tell us a little bit about the uh, beer cartel survey. We know the background to it. What were your main takeaways? Number one, uh, so one of the big things we look at each year is just awareness of the independent deal. Uh, so that uh, launched first in May 2018. Uh, last year, so when we did the survey, which was uh, June, July, uh, we found that there was about 33% awareness, and that's now grown up, gone up to 41%. So uh, it's growing, which is a nice thing, especially coming into uh, the Indie Beer Day this coming Saturday. Absolutely. And I guess following on from that, how many who were aware of it said that it you know, had, had a major influence or a big influence on their purchasing decisions? So it was around about 58%, or it was 58%, so I think 9% said they, they had a large influence that only buy beer with the, the independent seal, um, and 49% said they had a medium influence and in, in that, that they try to buy beer with that seal on it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a good news story there and, and the fact that, that there are people actively looking for it, um, which is really good. When we did the survey last year, we actually asked people... Um, how likely they were to be influenced by that seal going forward um, and it was much higher rate so 85% said that they uh, likely to try and um, buy beer with that seal um, down to 58% from that but uh, I guess one thing is last year was likelihood and this year it's actually going okay how have you actually been behaving um, since that seal's kind of been brought out Okay, cool. And before I uh, ask a few questions, were there any uh, other big main takeaways for you? It was quite interesting to see that, that uh, cans, preference for cans, is, is now taking bottles. So um, it was something that we kind of thought uh, would happen at some stage, which is why we've always been asking that question right, right back from when we started in 2016. Um, and you've seen this gradual change. Um, and then this year was actually quite quite um, a large increase. So I think uh, sort of preference of uh, cans went up by 8% and, and uh, you have bottles uh, drop down quite a bit. So um, I guess it's reflective of the market. There, there's so many more cans that are out there nowadays. But yeah, it's interesting to see that, that consumer preferences are changing alongside what's kind of happening in the market. I was going to ask you about that because I guess you guys have the advantage of running a retail store. So do you see that what people are saying when asked is mirroring what they're doing when purchasing? You know, do you see, um, you know, is there any way that you can measure, for example, interest um, on when people come to the online store in whether a, a brewery is independent or not? So it's independent, it gets somewhat challenging. Um, it's not something that we've ever tried to do in the past, but um, it does raise a good point and it might be something that we could actually look into going forward. Um, as far as sort of like the, the can first bottle side of things, uh, we have noticed a huge shift um, in the way consumers are buying beer. And, and nowadays, if we have a choice between a bottle and a can, we'll always go the can uh, just because we know that, that, that that's what people are wanting. Mm. And, and, and I guess so. That, that was no real surprise. In, in, in some ways, it yeah, it's probably uh, not surprising that it's that we, we have seen it because if you go into most bottle shops, bottles, you know, we're actually going to have to start calling them can shops, I guess, um, because <laughs> they're, they're, they're not bottle shops. Now, how about one of the ones that I found interesting was, um, uh, let's see, uh, 
40% of respondents said they bought singles, um, but um, 54% said they would prefer cases of 24 as opposed to 16, um, which I found interesting because that seems to be bucking the trend of what we're seeing in the market where breweries seem to be increasingly going to four packs and 16 packs. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it was a, definitely an interesting one, one that uh, kind of surprised me. Um, it's uh, When you do pricing research, it, it can be quite hard um, to, I guess, get a true and accurate reflection of what, what people think. Um, and so when we actually asked the question, um, so it wasn't just, would you, if you could buy a beer, would you prefer it in the case of 16 versus case of 24? We actually tried to say, okay, Imagine that you've got a, um, a beer. You can buy it by the case of 16. Each beer is going to cost, I think it was something along the lines of $3.75, which equated to $69 a case, something along that. And then, or you could buy a case of 24 where each beer was $3.75 and it equated to $89. Was, yeah, $89.99 versus $59.99 was basically the... Um, um... Yeah, so we, we tried to really frame it so that people could, straight away see that that difference um and even with that um that they've still said that they'd prefer the the bigger size both for for the case of the 24 and and for a six pack over a four pack yeah it's definitely one that that kind of surprised me it's funny because if i go into put on our sort of bottle shop hat um it's not necessarily always the case but it's one that you it was definitely worth asking and trying to get that understanding of, of, of how consumers see it. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever really tried um, kind of putting having two products in the market that are the different sizes and seeing how they go. Um, I was actually just reading uh, Black Hops. They've done a bit of analysis on our research and um, Dan Norris from there, he was um, saying that when they went to cases of 16 that they saw quite a significant growth in their case sale. Mm. Um, so, so that is definitely interesting. Um, and h- h- one of his things was that um, he alluded to the fact that um, from the research, I think it was uh, something along the lines of 50, uh, people spend on average $56 a week on beer. Um, and so his, his justification or, or thought around it was that because that they've got that sort of limited budget or limited amount that they're spending each week, that maybe then a case of 16 sort of fits within that sort of budget or, or amount that they're spending each week. Well, I guess, I mean, just even looking at the numbers, you know, um, $89 versus $59, um, that seems like a huge jump up up from the $59. Um, but when you look at 16 or 24, it doesn't seem so. I was actually surprised that if you did the division, the bottle price the math, was yeah. almost exactly the same. And to, to me, it's a yeah, big well, perception. Exactly. Yeah, so, yep. um, I mean, Dan might be right, but just instinctively, it, you know, it, it looks like you're spending less when, truth be told, you're spending the same thing. And I, I remember seeing a similar thing, oh God, going back a little while now, but when six-packs first started edging up to, you know, the $20 mark, you know, six-packs used to be like eighteen ninety nine. Yeah. but as craft yeah. beer started edging up to the $20 um, glass ceiling, if we can call it that, that was when we started seeing brewers start to come out with four packs because it just let them keep under that uh, psychological $20 uh, 
line. So, you know, maybe this is an, an interesting thing to sort of keep in mind when it comes to surveys is that people's, what, what they report and what they do can often be two different things. Yeah, I, I think definitely, especially when it comes to something like pricing, um, because there are so many other sort of elements that, that go into when someone's into a, a bottle shop, um, there's so much else that, that's sort of happening around them. There's so many other prices that they see. Um, and yeah, they're, they're comparing a price for a case of 16 versus a case of 24. Uh, I think we've had some that just recently had a case of 18. So that there's all these different things in the mix and it's actually hard for the brain to kind of process all of these things individually to, to actually make a sort of coherent choice. So um, yeah, when you look at a, a survey situation, it's it's kind of just putting something in isolation. So it can be uh, tricky to, to always get the absolute perfect or accurate result of how someone would actually react in a bottle shop situation. And uh, actually, the other thing is, before we move on to the other topic, is big jump up in uh, you know, from 18,000 in 2018 to 23,000. So that's a substantial lift in uh, you know, respondents. Yeah, it's fantastic, really. And uh, so each year that the, the whole, with the survey, what we do is, is go out to everyone that works within the industry, all the breweries, bars, beer media, beer festivals, the tour operators, and we say, would you mind promoting this survey to your audience? Um, and so, yeah, that this year, uh, we've always been really well supported. And I've got to say huge thanks to everyone that, that exists within the industry that, that helps support the survey. Um, and then this year, we've had even more people sort of get behind it. So it's always uh, great to see and great for, I guess, for ensuring that we've got really accurate results as well. Was there any, because um, I know that you're able to segment the link that people click through so you can provide some very useful data back to individual breweries, for example, um, you know, about the, the, how their respondents, um, uh, you know, uh, responded versus the average um, or the aggregated respondent. Looking at, say, the champion breweries in each state or the most popular breweries um, in each state or even overall, were you able to look at the number of responses from a brewery and whether that matched, you know, for example, was Bolter the brewery that you got the most responses from or were they, um, you know, close to, to, to the top? Uh, to be honest, I, I haven't really looked at that in a lot of detail yet. Um, uh, I mean, Bolter does have a fairly substantial database, mm. um, but I know that, and so I haven't compared the Bolter database first, the average person that answered the survey and see um, uh, how they rated Bolter overall. I know that Bolter would have been rated quite highly just amongst the average um, consumer as well. Mm. Um, but it definitely does help if, if you've got a um, large database. Um, and I guess in saying that, you've probably got a large database because you're actually quite a successful brewery. So it kind of cuts both ways. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I, I just, when it comes to the Hottest 100 and all of the discussion and criticism that it's just a popularity contest, which, yes, it is. Um, but, I, you know, I've sort of got my own little metric where, you know, the, the breweries that uh, do well, there's a, you know, like a, a, a high, there's a reach um, by hype squared sort of metric where the bigger breweries, um, you know, obviously have a, a, a huge number of people that they can um, 
you know, count on to vote for them or, you know, potential vote votes for them. Um, but they're the, the bigger the audience, they're not necessarily motivated um, yep. to, to, to vote on mass. Whereas the hype, the, the, the breweries that are hype and, and buzz um, may have a much smaller group, but very motivated to, to, to be involved. And so there's a sort of a, a, a metric at which point those two inter, 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 interact. And I was just sort of wondering whether you might be able to share some light on that, but maybe... You know, as you get a chance to trawl through the the data a little bit more, we might be able to get some answer about that. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting. I, I know some breweries would, um, I guess, they'll probably have eighty, ninety percent of their sort of database that would say, uh, whoever it may be, is, is my number one brewery. Whereas um, someone that that's much bigger, um, but is servicing, I guess, servicing a much bigger audience, um, then that sort of portion then comes down. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that would be interesting to look into. Yeah. So moving on to the other topic, um, I, I won't sing it, but happy birthday. Yeah, thank you very much. So, so I mean, uh, 10 years is, I mean, that's almost uh, pension age in the craft beer industry. <laughs> yeah. As, um, so 10 years ago, we started our business um, out of a little Kenard storage shed. So if you know the, um, the sort of standard Kenard storage shed, Ours was the, the tiniest of the, the tiniest. Um, so they have uh, some of the Canada storage areas have these wine storage sections that are like a temperature controlled area. Um, and we started out of there um, and we started with one little shed. We increased to two and then to three. Uh, and then in 2011, actually got a bricks and mortar store. Um, and so it's been a long journey. Uh, we started out online and we were sort of one of the pioneers online. So online before the likes of Dan Murphy's and, uh, and the beer uh, and the wine world, Vino Mofo. Um, and yeah, we've learned a lot along the way. Uh, when we went to our, having our store in 2011, our store sales quickly on, overtook our online sales because online basically didn't exist um, way back then. Um, and then... Uh, over time, this, we've gradually sort of moved back to online being a substantial sort of part of our business now um, and servicing people across Australia. But because I, I remember when you started, as I said to you uh, offline, you know, the you know, 10 years seems like such a long time ago and it must have been 12 or 13 years ago that a, a group called Beer Masons, which is the one of the first subscription services I remember, um, but they came and went really quite quickly um, and I think there might have been one or two others, but uh, if you weren't the first, you're certainly the the oldest um, in, in, in that category, I'd imagine. Yeah, so I I think we were ahead of Bear Masons, um, and there might have been one other micro beer club um, that was micro beer club. That was another one, yeah. There, there, there um, were a couple, but uh, but again, yeah. I, I, I think they went um, before you. I remember you starting. Uh, micro beer club were probably still around, even maybe five or six years ago. So that 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 been around for a little while. Oh, sorry, um, I meant uh, uh, Beer Masons. Um, uh, BMSs, yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I think they were maybe around for a year or two after we we'd started. Um, but it is it is a sort of challenging part of the market. Um, if you are sort of uh, just focusing on beer subscription, I think uh, it's it's actually quite hard for a business to exist just doing that. You actually need to have more of an offer than just that. Um, 
So we're, we're, we've learned a lot along the way. Uh, when we first started, um, because it was so hard to, to get good craft beer, we always had very limited lines. Um, and I think when we bought out the, the um, or it moved into our, our bricks and mortar store, we, we probably only had about 60 craft beers at that stage. Um, now that's well over a thousand and we're, we're getting 20 to 30 new beers every week. So um, we're not just focused on a single subscription, but also having an amazing range that we can offer people as well. Including subscribers uh, or our correspondents, and, uh, and and we do thank you for that support. That's not why we've got you on talking today, of course. But uh, yeah, no, we, we we do thank you. We've had some great responses from the people that have received the uh, mixed six pack that you've been sending of great Australian beer. Yeah, great to hear. Now we're uh, busy uh, moving into the, the Christmas um, kind of madness, and, and for us, we we have a big sort of uh, gifting side of our business, um, and so that means that, that was got thousands of packs to, to make up um, over the next while to send the people for Christmas. Oh, terrific. Well, all, all the best with it and congratulations on 10 years and also congratulations on uh, the, the craft beer survey as well, which has been a successful once again. Yeah, thank you very much and yeah, I appreciate the uh, support both with the survey and, and business generally. I, I thought it was very interesting that we are seeing brewers increasingly move to smaller packaging sizes that you would presume is, and the feedback that I get from um, bottle shops is that it's because it's what consumers want. Um, and yet when the, you put a survey in front of them, they say that they want bigger packaging. Yeah, is that, though, is that just we're talking to the, the pointy end of the pointy end? Well, 23,000 23, people is, is, you know, is a fairly broad response rate so I, I didn't get into the actual numbers but um, I, the, the one thing that struck me is that when you look at the question you know would you prefer cases of 24 coming in at 89.99 or uh, a carton of 16 coming in at 59.99 to me it sounds like the 24.90 the, the 24 at 89 is better value but when you break it down the cost per unit is still the same so I think it's I, I think it's one of those funny perception things um that you know, no, I must admit, this this really surprised me that that fifty four percent of respondents to that question said that they would prefer twenty fours as to as to sixteens. Mm. This one really surprised me that uh, I would have thought the smaller amount means that you're drinking that quantity of beer fresher. So I'll throw it to you guys. What that, that the difference? The the last eight beers. How, why are they so important? Because because to me they're the one the, the last eight you drink. Are sort of, you know, uh, I guess the furthest away from their freshest. There's certainly people, um, and again, probably more in the pointy end of the craft beer world, that, again, I don't know if fresh beer is actually um, a thing that an overwhelmingly amount of consumers consider. Um, you know, when you think about, you know, even like they'll consider themselves craft beer drinkers in terms that they'll drink maybe Pacific Ale regularly. It might be something like Little Creatures Pale. It like that those those kind of drinkers rather than the you know I'm, yeah going out and buying my milkshake IPAs. Um, they might not have the same awareness of freshness. So to them, you know, as long as I get through it in the next one, two, three weeks, it's still fresh beer to them. Um, if it's in the fridge, they might leave it in there for months and still consider it, um, you know, it's, it's still good to drink where Fresh, I get yeah. people in air pointy and probably like, oh, that's, you know, two months old now. Um, I actually, at, at first I was surprised and then I went, hang on, I'm looking at this from a um, craft beer consumer point of view, not 
a marketing point of view. Um, when, like, I haven't personally bought a case of beer in years because I'm probably, again, the typical drinker where I'm buying singles and six packs over a case. Um, you know, if I buy a case, it's to go away to Meredith or, you know, a music festival it's or an occasion or a weekend. purchase. Yeah. But there's a yeah. purpose, yeah, exactly. So if people are buying cases of beer regularly, it is probably in their eyes, well, if I buy the largest size, I'm buying one pack instead of having to go back and buy two. Um, I guess it's kind of like you've got kids' favourite cereal. You want to get the big box instead of getting two of the half-size boxes. Um, so that was my kind of consideration that people might have answered that question going, yep, if I buy cases regularly, I'm probably buying the same beer regularly because that's my go-to and I'd rather go to the shops once a fortnight rather than every other week, uh, sorry, every week. Um, so I guess there's that consideration too that you, we just can't get out of the question um, that's as broad as that, um, which I think um, uh, he actually alluded to um, as well. Uh, I think Richard kind of said, like, it's a bit of, there's other obviously considerations that you just can't really get into um, in, a, in a survey uh, like that. Yeah, and I think it, it, that's mirrored too in the fact that um, in the other question, they, when it came to smaller size packs, respondents overwhelmingly voted for six packs over four packs. Whereas for me, I'm probably mm. four packs. I can get three four packs um, instead of two six packs. I've now got three rather than two styles of beer in my fridge to choose from depending on you know what the occasion is or what time I get home or what I'm doing or what I feel like. So for me, yeah, yeah I, I guess I look at four would have been the obvious one rather than the six. Yeah, and I would be exactly the same. But I guess, again, like, and just thinking of some of my friends' purchasing habits, like if they're going to a party or somewhere for dinner, they'd probably rather a six-pack because four might not be enough and eight's too much. And, and, and I say, I think, at the end of the day, too, we're humans, we're very much creatures of habit. So, you know, we, don't, we generally don't really react to change that well. So if, you know, if something's been a 24 case forever and a day, it's kind of just where our comfort zone sits. And there, there are just um, perceptions around it. But you know, I think it's a really interesting one. I, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed learning about this and kind of you know, looking at from both my own purchasing as a craft consumer, but then also with the marketing hat on too. Um, and, you know, because there's obviously brands like Bolter that you know, consistently are at the top of, um, you know, consumer favourite um, breweries and, you know, they've been a four pack and a, um, and the smaller case size as well. So um, I think it's something to really watch this space and just see what comes of it. Um, as for breweries, um, you know, if you're currently doing six packs and or four packs or, you know, I wouldn't, be considering change off this survey alone. Um, you know, I think it's certainly something that you know you should be getting that um, feedback directly from your actual yeah. consumers rather than customers too that have their own um, sometimes warped perceptions. Um, but it is certainly something that's really quite interesting to keep an eye on. And just before we move on to uh, a bit more in-depth chat about some of the issues that Richard brought up in that chat with Matt, um, from a marketing point of view, Zoe, is part of the change to, um, and I, I recall that Hawkers, when they first bought out their Rover brand, bought them out in boxes of 12. And and then the 16, obviously, and then the, the traditional is, is the 24. Is part of that so that you can't directly compare like for like? So you've got to do some mental maths you know, in front of the shelves or in front of the fridge to work out, you know, an each price or whatever. So it's part of that the brewer's sort of saying, well, look, you know, uh, let's take that equation out of it and just say 
which packaging do you like better or which brewery do you kind of have the, the, the more warm and fuzzy feeling towards? Yeah, I can't say I've ever been involved with a brand that's done that. That's been the driving decision behind it. Um, there's certainly been times where um, you just want to, you do want to be that bit of difference and it fits with your brand to maybe be a little bit challenging or, you know, be the first to market um, with change. Um, you know, looking outside beer, you know, a brand like Apple has built their entire reputation on that. Um, so there are certainly brands that, you know, it is part of just their DNA. Um, and, you know, I guess you know, people do have to try these things. We, there's other considerations, like we know people are drinking less but drinking better. So that could have been, you know, well, hey, let's try a 12-pack. It might sit well in the market. You know, someone's got to test these things out. Um, and, you know, that's where I think it will be really interesting to watch in the coming years and, the trends that we're seeing in alcohol consumption, just what yeah, consumers end up really do getting behind. Because like you said, it's it was surprising because we know what where we're sitting and what our preferences are and our reasons behind them. Um, but a survey like this kind of defaulted back to the same old. So, um, yeah, I think it's really, really interesting to watch and see if those trends keep going or if it really is, you know, the bulk are sold as 24 cases and six packs. Well, you know, that's kind of where we end up sitting just because that's where the volume is and that's where people's preferences are because that's their actual um, habits. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, excellent. Uh, Matt, our last news story, something near and dear to uh, the hearts of both yourself and myself. Um, beer is on the agenda at the Royal Queensland Food and Wine Show. Um, the RNA, which is the, um, the the Queensland body that looks after uh, the agricultural interests of the the state of Queensland and uh, runs the uh, various awards and uh, of course the ECA, which is the you know like the royal show uh, every August. Um, they've announced um, that they're introducing for the first time the Royal Queensland Beer Festival in 2020. And we've spoken recently, Matt, quite a bit about uh, beer festivals. This one I think is probably a little bit different. Um, a little bit more boutique and a little bit more, uh, I guess, designed specifically for for the brewers to showcase their beers, uh, particularly the ones that, that win awards. But also, it then gives a nice lead into the consumers to to engage with um, with the Queensland Beer Awards. Absolutely, shout out to Phil Sharp, who was a listener of the podcast and the uh, competitions uh, manager there. So, but yeah, look, it, it, it's interesting. Every state now has its own. Um, beer competition and one of the questions you can ask is how many more beer competitions do we need you know we've got the AIBA we've got the Indies which are the two leading ones and then every state has a state by state one Um, and the other thing is that we're also arguably at peak beer festival um, where we're seeing a bit of an arms race amongst the beer festivals to see who can be the most you know exciting interesting you know widest uh, you know engagement um, and th- these guys have really done something uh, different and unique for, for their festival. Um, they're looking at um, giving a cash prize for the use of desal water, you know, with sustainability being an, increase- an increasing issue in the, in the brewing industry. Um, they've partnered up with the local water um, board, uh, you know, manufacturing water. Secwater. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was a name that was relevant to anybody. Um, to come up with a bursary where brewers can make beer showcasing that 
you know, desal and recycled water is perfectly good and you can make awesome beer out of it, which is a, a, a nice win for brewers that you're not just winning a bit of bling to put on your bottle or in your um, tap room. You can actually win cash that goes towards a study bursary for your staff, which is very exciting. But then they've also, um, to try and look at the commercial outcomes they give to brewers, they're also looking at how they can be creative around that. So they've got a lot of facilities at the showgrounds and they've decided that, well, if you enter the beer competition, we will give you free entry to a, you know, initially a small consumer tasting event where you can showcase all of your wares, including your hopefully uh, medal winning beers. Um, and you don't have to pay upfront to, to be there. We'll put on the, st- we'll put on the festival for you and you just uh, pay 20% of your turnover. Um, and so a lot of the, feedback we get from brewers is um, you know how much beer festivals are costing to um, just go to and then you also have to give anything up to 50% of your turnover um, to to the festival and a lot of brewers are starting to weigh up um, whether or not they're going to be involved in beer festivals because there are so many demands on their time so yeah this just seemed like a really nice way you know you enter the beer competition and you get free entry to the beer festival and you also get to you know make back your competition entry and then you know potentially quite a bit more so uh, yeah no look I, I, I thought that that was worth worth flagging yeah uh, so the first the inaugural beer festival will be held on the 7th of March next year um, and that will so initially yeah that will be a showcase as Matt said for um, the competition uh, winners but also I think they're include they're incorporating so if for example you won something last year, they're in, they're including that I think in the um, like in the eligibility criteria. Absolutely, yep. Which would be nice too. Yeah. All right. Mate, we, we, I did tease earlier in the week um, that Lion is the first brewery in Australia to launch a hard cider, and we finally got the details. It's called hard seltzer. Hard, yeah. hard seltzer. Sorry, um, it's uh, called Quincy, um, <laughs> which you know. And, 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 and I thought, why would anybody want an alcohol a quince flavored? Alcoholic. So that was the first uh, thing I thought. I just, that, I, I just went straight for fruit. That's interesting. Well, uh, you know, regular listener and uh, intellectual property expert uh, James Omond has already flagged that their IP, you know, their trademark application has been opposed by um, the French Appellation Control Board because Quincy is a region in France. It is an Appellation yeah. Control. So that, that's interesting. In the Loire Valley. I didn't. I didn't know that because because no. I've got to tell you that the other. And this is just the way my mind worked. And maybe it was because um, I'd been out uh, doing some video production and we were uh, shooting some barley farms. And so we'd we'd done uh, a light finish and then trying to film Sunrise two days in a row. So when it popped up in my Facebook feed, I was probably feeling a little bit bleary. But then I I thought, no, it's not going to be Quince. The next thing that came to me was, for those old enough to remember the medical drama in the the 70s. Quincy MD or Quincy ME. Yeah, and he only dealt with corpses. So, jeez, <laughs> so, I'll tell you what, they're over from two here and the product's not even on the shelves yet. Well, the Germans have a saying for uh, Australian tourists that go to um, Oktoberfest and it's beer corpse. I can't remember what the translation is. but uh, Beer lichen. Uh, yeah, oh, there you go. Beer lichen. Because they kind of pop over rocks. Yeah. Once we actually saw the details, the interesting thing, you know, of course, we asked, well, how, how do you make it? Because... You know, Lion, um, just to say, we've got this fantastic new product. It's kept, well, how do you make it? You know, what's in it? What is a hard seltzer? Because to me, a hard seltzer is water that's been carbonated. 
or yeah, and then and potentially flavoured alcohol at it. Yeah. yeah. So, i.e., alcohol pop. But of course, that would be taxed a certain way in Australia. So we asked them, and uh, they sort of said, "Well, we don't want to talk about our uh, our process." Which you know, as we know, Prof. When they want to talk about it, they talk about it. When they've got something to hide, they don't talk about it. And they sort of cite our intellectual property. Um, I call bullshit on that. But anyway, um, what, from what they did tell us, it's rice-based, um, which makes it a cereal grain per the definition of beer, because we've already had questions on the Facebook page as to whether or not this is a beer. Um, they talk about very low bitterness. So it's obviously hopped to some level, which uh, um, it's got delicate taste profile with very low bitterness. So they've obviously created something that isn't seltzer water, that is taxed as a beer, that is then flavoured um, to meet the definition of uh, you know, beer under excise, but it's targeting the seltzer um, market um, and also RTD drinkers. RTD and, yeah, I'll go pop. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to... So that, in itself is going to be very, very interesting to see, you know, what sort of response it gets from, you know, the tax man, the any alcohol, um, you know, crusaders and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Is this sort of uh, FMB that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, that, like in the States, the a flavoured malt beverage. So it, it, it's come from a malted grain of some sort. Therefore, it's not, you know, a wine cooler or a, a spirit based. Absolutely. You know, RTD. If they called it that. But if they called it a flavoured malt beverage, then they wouldn't be calling it a alcoholic seltzer. And alcoholic seltzers are what's blown up in, in the US, which has a different tax regime. So they're calling it something that, on my understanding, it's not. But they're doing it the way that they're doing it to fly under the tax man's radar and not get alcohol popped. Um, so, yeah, look, just... Yeah, no, I'm just making look, those observations. I've got no yeah. no view about it. Look, it's it's clever, and, and I'm sure Zoe will have a, a an opinion on this. But it's, to me, it's clever marketing because it's not just crowding your portfolio with yet another beer, and you're not necessarily taking your beer sales away. So people who are, who are going to get this presumably are going to be added to your uh, customer base rather than you know being cannibalising. Oh, yeah. And, you know, existing and, drinkers. And they're, they're tapping into a trend. The interesting thing is that I, I presume that they're using some of the techniques they used with the Han gluten-free beer that was all rice. And then they added, um, they used hop pellets to give it body. And then they sort of worked out a way to make it taste more beer-like. Um, so this, this is obviously using some of those techniques. And it's, it's tapping into a, a, a very real trend. But in terms of the scrutiny that they're going to get, because it, if you remember that the, the Alcopops tax came in, so you know, what was once called Vodka Cruiser, they went to you know, basically a flavoured malt beverage. So they went to um, using flavourless beer um, to avoid putting distilled spirits in, which gave it a, a tax break. And so the government redefined what beer was. Are we going to, if these take off, are we going to see beer suddenly given another definition? And, uh, you know, it, just, just to completely take us down another rabbit hole, um, one of the other things, as we've been looking into the whole um, ABAC thing, one of the marketing experts that we've spoken to has pointed out that marketing isn't one thing. So if, if, if your marketing is designed to appeal to, um, or, or could potentially appeal to children, ABAC has been focusing only on design, but marketing isn't just design. Marketing is 
price, um, product, and placement. And as we know, um, young problematic drinkers are much more lured by very cheap alcohol um, and the, the flavors of alcohol, you know, which are sweetened, low bitterness products. Um, and can you really say that you know, a, a 60 IBU beer, regardless of what's on the label, but you're charging $28 a four pack, is or could appeal to children? when you take in all of the elements of the design. Um, they're just focusing in on one. Um, and Little Fat Lamb is an example of that. Little Fat Lamb, which completely flies under the ABAC radar because the labels comply, but everything else about the product is designed to appeal to young um, drinkers. Um, and I, you, know, you could argue that this is exactly the same. It's a, it's a low bitterness product. I don't know what the price is because that should be part of the mix as well. But uh, anyway, yeah, so um, Quincy, um, Zoe, what do you think about any and all of that? Well, you guys just covered a lot. Um, the, in terms of the beer side of it, I'd be really surprised if they marketed this to try to get any beer drinkers over. I think it'd be more of a... Um, you know, white wine, cider, um, you know, if your RTDs or your preference is vodka, lime and sodas, like it'd be those kind of consumers that they'd be trying to get on board um, rather than yeah, a traditional beer drinker. Um, in terms of the tax implications, you know, their business, I think, um, you know, it's, it's made sense that they've done it that way. Um, I think the product has probably come around to like, um, companies like Lion and CUB and Co all have, you know, entire teams of people dedicated to innovation and market insights, and they would have identified, um, as we all know, there's a um, change in drinking habits. People are wanting to, they're willing to still pay um, a premium price, but for a better product. So they would have seen there's a gap in the market and wanted not to, a better um, product, a different product. Unique. Yeah, yeah. So just getting something different in that people will be like, okay, this has got my interest. This could be for me. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, what comes of it. I think there'll be a lot of work to do um, to make this, you know, um, you know, it's kind of in a category of its own. This, um, you know, when it is something as new as this, um, you know, and seltzer, you know, it isn't really even a word that's on the, I guess, the Australian drinks radar. It's kind of, I guess, a, much more of a fancy um, product, I guess. You know, it's not the, the everyday drink option. So um, I think there'll be a fair bit of education that will be needed around this. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they um, went quite hard with the trial, um, you know, so people were actually tasting it in venues and bottle shops. And, um, you know, I think in the article it said it'd be available in, like, all the main stores like Dan Murphy's and BWS's and stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if they'd be doing a um, a very large drive on getting trial and just getting the brand in hand. Um, but yeah, again, like it's interesting when this stuff comes out because it just gives us more information about the consumer and what they're um, reacting to and the feedback you see around it. Um, and again, when we're in the pointy end, I think anything like this, um, you know, wine and cans, anything that's outside our bubble, but we can still learn from, it can only be a good thing for our industry to um, yeah, adapt as well. Yeah, fair to say we shall uh, watch this one with interest and see uh, see what develops. Certainly in terms of the the naming, whether they get away with that, and and then as Zoe said, you know how they go about getting 
brand in hand. Because the other thing, too, yeah, you, you touched there, Zoe, on um, the, the the term seltzer is not necessarily familiar um, to me. Again, it's it's that vaudeville kind of thing. It's uh, you know, it was the um, making your own soda water. So you know, it's a seltzer mm-hmm. bottle was the you know the thing that um, vaudeville performers squirted each other in the face with and all that sort of thing. And I wonder whether they're using seltzer because it's not wine cooler, it's not um, RTD, it's it's not, you know, Alco Pop. They're, they're going for something completely different. So the people go, oh, I don't know what a seltzer is at that price. Yeah, yeah. let's let's give it a try. I don't know, you know. And it certainly has say. a little bit more prestige than RTD or Alco Pop <laughs> or, um, yeah, like wine cooler. That took Fizzy Goon. Action. Yeah, Fizzy Goon, I think, yeah. was um, an Appalachian controlee as well, so they, uh, they couldn't use <laughs> ben that. Krause. Ben Krause, I think, owns Fizzy Apple Goon. <laughs> For um, yes, for, for some of the um, mainstream cider offering. Oh, sorry, uh, apple flavoured alcoholic offerings pretending to be cider. Um, let's dive in, shall we, to the mailbag? And Matt, just before we go on, we've got a uh, one here I did notice um, that was addressed to you. I don't know if you know. I, just, I can't see the name just at the moment. But um, just apropos of the uh, the Quincy. Uh, no offence, Matt, but the white claw you bought me back from overseas was foul. Uh, brackets, obviously, still went down the hatch. Don't judge me. Close brackets. Uh, don't expect this one to be much better. Oh, that's from a Claire, Claire Burnett. We, we, we bring him classy in the Bruce News office. <laughs> I just love the way she says it was absolute rubbish. Still went down the hatch, bud. <laughs> you haven't met uh, Claire yet, uh, Zoe. You will. No. I feel like paper. I already do off all the Facebook posts and um, yeah, she's doing a great job of driving conversation and um, contributing as well. So I feel like I do already know her, but um, you know, I'm looking forward to yeah, doing it in person one day. That's it. Uh, Matt, from uh, Rob Stewart on the uh, email. G'day, Matt and Pete and the Bruce News team. Firstly, love the podcast and the other content. Great to hear proper beer industry discussion and not just people sinking beers and having a chin wag, although those podcasts have a place. Now, with the All Affair and ABAC discussions, I wanted to relate a conversation I had with a couple of industry reps in WA. I was at an in-store tasting and was the only customer at the time. It was around the time Hop Nation Jedi Juice ruling was handed down. We got chatting about this and I raised the earlier Cheeky Monkey decision about their new branding being attractive to minors. The feedback I had from both reps was that their understanding was that Cheeky Monkey complaint had come from within the industry from a competitor brewery. From the discussion, they both knew which brewery was involved but wouldn't discuss it further. Their feeling was that a lot of these complaints were coming from competitor breweries. I asked about the perception that the uh, Western Australian brewing industry was highly collaborative or supportive, uh, or was this just at the brewer level? Their comment was that at a brewer level it was collaborative, but from a business side, companies would do things like make a complaint to get an advantage over another brewery. Uh, I know that I'm a bit light on facts, but that's what the reps involved, uh, they're, they're mates, and they didn't want to cause issues. Suffice it to say that I trust they would what they would have to say. I'm not sure that this is the case for all complaints, but it uh, might be an industry development that warrants some more investigation. Cheers and keep up the awesome content. Thanks for that, Rob. That's an interesting one, Matt. Yeah, look, I, I mean, you, you never know. Like, you do hear those sorts of things. I always like to, you know, source anything that, that we repeat back to, you know, sort of two or three reputable sources, even if we don't name them um but yeah look it, it for, for all of the talk about the love that we're all in this together and the rising tide raises all boats um there is a lot of competition out there um and you know, and we've often discussed matt if there's one space left in the in the beer fridge at a, at a, a venue or there's one tap left 
it, all bets are off in terms of, oh, no, 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 you're a good bloke. You know, you got here first. You, you take that tap. It's, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. yeah. And like sales reps, when you're out there every day and, you know, you're having your lunch eaten by somebody else, um, you know, like I'm sure there is a little bit of shit canning of products that goes on, you know, and, and you sort of see it to Stone and Wood, or like, oh, you know, they've been, they're being taken over by line or whatever, you know, to, to sort of try and diminish them from time to time. So, like, yeah, it, it may happen. I, I, again, the, um, ABAC complaints are anonymous, so we'll never know. Um, and, you know, there may be a case of somebody who has their wings clipped by ABAC um, or sees a product doing really, really well in the marketplace, you know, may make a sneaky. Um, you, you'd hope not, but I, I guess that's just um, real life. But again, if, like, if, if you're not doing anything wrong, then, you know, there's nothing really to complain about, I guess. Yeah, um, and then our last bit last week um, before we wrap up because I do notice the uh, the time ticking away and uh, we we did add that little bit in from uh, Richard. But, yeah, but uh, we've had Zoe on. It's worth a lot. Exactly, now. it's worth going that little bit extra. <laughs> keep running, yeah, guys. Keep running. Oh. That's it. But I, that's it. just jog on. I jog feel like on, I'm an enabler now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ouch. Um, but Zoe, I will throw this one to you because last week uh, I announced uh, the, the 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 brilliant news that Mazen Hajar was uh, being neutralised, naturalised as an Australian, um, and put it out there to our listeners. What sort of things now does he have to, you know, what habits does he have to change? What boxes does he have to tick? You know, a to do list, or what does he need to know now to be a fully, you know, sheep dip, flag wrap, dinky dye, true blue Aussie. And um, true to form, uh, Trev Burks came with uh, Tell Maz that uh, now he's allowed to go to Munich Oktoberfest wearing a Lederhosen T-shirt, not the real Lederhosen, just the printed T-shirt that he bought on eBay and spend all day yelling, play horses at the Umpa band, which I thought was an absolute classic. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, that's it, a bit early for him to know the words to K-San. Um, Shane Despritzer, a long-time loyal listener, Thongs are perfectly acceptable footwear for any occasion, but I did bring up there might have been some OHNS issues with uh, thongs in the uh, in the brewery, to Unless which somebody said, we'll just get him steel cap Crocs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so there we go. So, uh, so Zoe, from a marketing point of view, how do you market the new true blue Aussie Mazen Hajar? <laughs> I know that's a question without notice. You can come well back to us if you need to. Of this one. Um, <laughs> maybe you could do like a collaboration with the you know, the, the Bunnings Sussy stand or um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I um, I think I might respectfully just stay out of this question. It feels a bit <laughs> loaded and could go anywhere. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit uh, like Muzzin. As we know, like a chat with Muzzin, it could go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, great, great to have you back, Zoe. And um, as I say, thank you to all our listeners for bugging us and saying, where's Zoe? Oh, whatever is Zoe? Oh, when are you getting Zoe back? All right, you know. We got it. Oh, thanks. We've been trying. Um, yeah, it's it's very um sweet. Yeah, it's, um, I think I've said before, like you you do this, and like for those that don't know, like yeah, we're all across the country in our own places, and it's just it feels like just a phone chat, and then um yeah, when you start getting some feedback, yeah, because you can't really. Yeah, it just feels like I'm having a phone chat to you guys. You, you've got no concept of how many people end up, I guess, listening in. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really um, lovely to get the feedback and know that my waffle um, yeah, means something every now and then. So, well, <laughs> well um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not waffle great. and it, and people do, as I not said. Not at all. You know, Pete and I are constantly amazed that anyone listens to this, but apparently they do. Um, greetings to our <laughs> friends uh, right throughout Asia, I have to say. Um you know, the, both Phil and um, 
uh, Phil Rankmore, and Luke, um, who we, we interviewed recently. But uh, looking at the downloads, there are a number of you. So uh, to to all of our listeners right around the world, um, thank you. Yeah, and Matt and I have we speak quite a, a bit, you know, sort of offline about not just being you know the same two voices the whole time, and and we do try to get. Uh, I guess that that third voice in whenever we can, um, and, and particularly when it's relevant. And 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 it's great, Zoe, that you do bring that that marketing um, kind of savvy to a lot of the things that you know we're interpreting things. You know, very much from a, I guess, a consumer news viewpoint. Um, and sometimes it's it's it, for us, it's really interesting to get that um, that marketing side of things in. We'd like to talk about lots of different things. You bring the the marketing. Um, other times we talk about sustainability or product safety. Brewery finance, Matt, is another one that's a hot topic for brewers, um, especially given that most craft breweries grow from side hustle to serious business. Um, did you know that Unleashed Software can um, help brewers gain maximum visibility or margins on a per bottle and per barrel basis, and it connects with Zero and QuickBooks Connect for seamless cost breakdowns, almost as seamless as this ad. As, yeah, to our good friends at Unleashed. And if you, uh, if you are a brewing industry professional and you want to understand the importance of getting your costs and your finances under control, go listen to the conversation we had with Maria Perman, uh, who was part of the BrewCon from Brucon, yeah, uh, light, light from Brucon. She was a presenter at Brucon, and awesome, and a, a lot of insights into how software such as Unleashed can help you uh, better understand your business and your finances, and make sure that you're here this time next year. There we go. So we may not be great at marketing, but we're certainly good at acknowledging um, our sponsors, so that we can keep doing this thing that we do. So thank you very much to Crime Alt, to Rellings Label Stickers and Packaging, uh, to Beer Cartel who. Um, Look after our letter writers. We send them out a, um, a bar blade, a Bruce News bar blade, but uh, our good friends at Beer Cartel send out a mixed six-pack for the um, the item-deemed letter of the week. I feel like we should give it to that Claire, Claire Bunnett, was it? <laughs> sent us in a thing on uh, Facebook, um, and perhaps we can send her a six-pack of Quincy. <laughs> no, we wouldn't do that. Uh so thank you to uh, all our sponsors. Thank you very much, Zoe. It was great to have you uh, back on yet again. And uh, welcome back. My pleasure. Down Underside. Good to have you back. Thank and you. great to have you on the pod- you. on the podcast. Thank you very much, Matt. Perfect. Thank you very much. And uh, all of those listeners that are still jogging, you can stop now. And we're out. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener, And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover, because beer is a conversation. 